He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis. This is the 5 o'clock show, Cats at Night. The number one show in uh, New York, five-state area, or six-state area. (laughs) And I, I can certify that the KGB listens into this show, the Chinese intelligence listens into this show, because we talk about things that they don't even, even they know. Don't even, even they don't know about. Even they don't know about. And the French also, because something will happen here on the air, and the next thing we know, this article comes out in French or Russian or Chinese. It's very oh interesting. In the studio with us, in the studio with us, we have Judge Richard Weinberg, a common sense Democrat, and a common sense Republican, Ed Cox. Uh, used to be uh, uh, first son or second son to, to the <laughs> White House, to, <laughs> yeah. son-in-law to uh, President Nixon, and 10 years the GOP chairman. And uh, Lydia, what's your claim to fame? I am an Emmy Award-winning journalist. I've won several Emmys among Thank many you. awards. I've been doing this for 20 years. And if there's something to be found out, I will find it out. Uh, on the line with us, speaking of someone who knows a lot about everything, is Professor Alan Zershowitz, just, what, 50 years at Harvard Law? He's on his, what, 50-something book? Professor Zershowitz, how are you, sir? It looks like Martha's Vineyard is safe right now from the migrants, 48 of them, but now a couple others. A- maybe... Any people moving into your home in uh, Martha's right. Vineyard? Uh... And, <laughs> and now they're offered... sending more to Delaware. I offered to pay for all their food and medical care. Uh, my rabbi, Chabad, offered to take them in. Uh, for some reason, they were taken off the island. We shouldn't confuse humanitarian issues with, obviously, political issues. Politically, you can dis- disagree with what the government's doing. You can disagree or agree with what DeSantis is doing. But when 50 people come to an island, children and mothers, you got to take care of them as long as they're on the island. And that's what the people of Martha's Vineyard generally did. Look, there are a bunch of flaming hypocrites on the left when it comes to free speech. They ban me. They ban my books in the library. But when it came to the immigrants, they, they I think, did a pretty good job. Uh, they used to say to me, uh, just a tidbit, they used to say to me, if two people tell you you're drunk, you better lay down. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Professor Dershowitz, by the way, is the only person that I have heard on Martha's Vineyard who made such an amazing offer to all the migrants. You're the only person that I've heard publicly come out and say, I want to help these people. So bravo to you, Professor Dershowitz. I thought the sign said, said, welcome to Martha's Vineyard. Now get the hell out. I thought that's what <laughs> Judge, what do you, what do you have to say? Alan, I want to talk to you about a couple of things. The first one is, did you see the federal court decision where big tech was held not to have a free will and yeah. First Amendment right. What do you think yeah. about that? To well, censor. I think this is the most. This is the most important 21st century issue of free speech. I wish I was still teaching at Harvard. I'd be teaching this case. I mean, of course, the court is right. Private uh, companies shouldn't be able to censor things. On the other hand, can the government tell private companies what to do? I mean, I wish Thomas Jefferson were here. He would uh, understand this issue very well. There are two sides to it. You don't want to give the government too much power over private companies, and you don't want to give too much power to private companies. The, the solution may well be to treat these giant companies as the way we treat railroads and telephone companies and telegraph companies, you know, as common carriers, which applies, obliges them to comply with certain rules, but not every rule. They're, you know, they're partly private. They're partly public. And and it's it's a it's the hardest issue. Anybody who comes up with a simple minded answer to this is wrong. 
Professor Dershowitz, there's now a sheriff in Texas who's talking about charging DeSantis with some sort of political crime. You have Governor Gavin Newsom out in California saying that DeSantis is basically a kidnapper. They now just sent more migrants to Delaware. DeSantis, that is. Uh, Is there any kind of legality behind this? Why would a sheriff in Texas, I know the migrants were there first and they went to the Florida Panhandle and then they ended up in Martha's Vineyard. But this all seems very political. And by the way, that sheriff is a Democrat. Well, of course, it's all political. And the, the worst trend in America today is that every time we disagree with somebody politically, we claim they committed a crime. We invent the crimes. We're doing that against Trump now. We're doing it against, uh, you know, DeSantis on the other side. It's ridiculous. Uh, both Democrats and Republicans are weaponizing the criminal justice system. And the criminal justice system has to remain clear of politics. And it's not. Look, today there was a great decision by a judge releasing this man who was in the serial that about, you know, killing um, on television. Mm-hmm. And he spent years and years in prison. And he was just released because of government misconduct. That's the way the criminal justice system should work. It should try as hard as it can to get to justice. So the Santa at Cox here, uh, there's, uh, the Santis was making a political point, obviously, by shipping 50 migrants to uh, and in one way, he was uh, uh, sort of cashing up with Abbott, what Abbott was doing, which is more straightforward. But yeah. then he followed up with us saying, I want to draw attention to the migrants who are dr- drowning in the Rio Grande, what's happening down at the border, in a way that, sure, it's a political point, but it's a political point that needs to be made. Or the 53 migrants that's, that uh, sweltered to death in the back of that tractor trailer. Exactly. Where's the outrage there? What do you think, Professor Dershowitz? Or, or the one who committed suicide yesterday in New York. I mean, these are all horrible humanitarian tragedies. and We have to stop them, but we have to also stop using uh, these migrants as pawns, political pawns. And uh, we have to get down to the issue of how do we create a path to citizenship in which people are online and nobody can jump the line and nobody can do anything illegal. But, you know, we welcome people to come in. Uh, we're, we're a country that just thrives on immigration. We always have. But the, the Secretary for Homeland Security has just said, oh, the border's secure. Vice President Harris said, oh, the border's secure. So they're just not recognizing the problem. How do you bring it home to them that they got a real well, problem? Well, look, I understand politically and from a media point of view what DeSantis did was brilliant, but he used uh, people, individuals as as pawns. If they were to end up in Martha's Vineyard, things could be a lot worse for them. Look, at the same time, (laughs) especially if you're feeding them, Alan, (laughs) (laughs) we're watching at the same time we're watching Ken Burns, brilliant movie on the Holocaust, showing how. America refused to accept um, uh, Jewish immigrants and other immigrants, and it was a terrible, terrible blemish on America. And so we have to strike the appropriate balance, not allow, you know, illegality to dominate the borders. On the other hand, create a reasonable pathway. I wish we could sit down and compromise Democrats and Republicans and figure out the right way to do this. And I think it's possible. But today, nobody sits down with anybody and tries to agree. You know, W. Bush put his political capital in his second term at doing that. And they're getting close to McCain and everyone's getting into it, a bipartisan basis. And it was Senator Obama who killed it in the end. How is it any different, though? Remember that. How is it any different, though, what DeSantis and Abbott are doing versus what President Biden is doing? They're sending thousands of migrants in the dead of night via plane all over the country. I know what happens in Westchester County. 
I guess I'll ask all the attorneys in the room. Can you explain to me the difference? Yeah, there's a big there's a big difference. The president of the United States has an obligation, took an oath to enforce the to enforce the laws and defend uh, defend our borders. And the Biden administration has failed failed to do it. They have to enforce the borders. Without border security, you have no national security, and you do not have a country. So the first obligation is on the president. And you can say whatever you want about DeSantis or about Abbott. The fact is we have a crisis now because of Biden. Well, first of all, you know, uh, the chief of staff of uh, Mayor Adams was uh, talking about it yesterday. And they are uh, going against Abbott and uh, DeSantis. But I I think it should go against the White House and say, stop, you know, control these borders. Absolutely. But they won't even recognize there's a problem. They ignore it. And I think... I think the one point that DeSantis made, I wish he had made it in a different way, is that you can't limit this problem to the southern border states. Exactly uh, they're right. They're the ones who bear the front of this. And this is a national policy. And we have to figure out a way of making everybody in the country understand that there is a, a, a very serious problem at the border and we have to solve it. And um, I just wish we lived in a world today where Democrats and Republicans could sit down and talk as they used to be able to. I remember what, you know, Ted Kennedy and Orrin Hatch would sit down and decide things and, and really do the right thing. And Joe Lieberman, who would always cross party lines to try to do the right thing. We don't have too many Joe Liebermans today, unfortunately. Uh, on another issue, did you see where Judge Deary in the, the Eastern District was a special master on the, yeah. the Trump, yeah. where he said – to to the attorneys representing Trump, listen, you have a problem here. You've asserted that you've uh, declassified documents, that the national security documents. Well, where's your, where's your proof of that? And uh, Andy McCarthy wrote a column, said that Trump may have a real problem because of uh, those assertions. What do you say? Well, he has the right to declassify, but the burden of proof is on him to demonstrate that he actually did it, not that he thought about it or not that he did it after he left the presidency. It's an evidentiary issue. Yeah. And, Bottom uh, line is, did he decertify while he was did he decertify while he was still president? That's the question. And you know, his claim is that the that's day it. he moved the material out, he gave a general order that anything that goes down in Mar-a-Lago is going to be declassified. But, uh, you know, we'll see if he can prove that. He has to demonstrate it. You know, if it's a criminal case, he doesn't have to prove it. They have to prove the opposite. But if it's just a case involving do we does the uh, archives get the material, then the burden of proof would be on I it. think it's such a bunch of crap that at this stage of life that the Democrats and Republicans going after the president, the former president of the United States, or, you know, I mean, it's just, I'm sick over it. Yeah. No, look, everybody's going after everybody. That's the problem. I mean, let's talk about Martha's Vineyard. Everybody in the vineyard is going after me and my wife and my family and my kids. Uh, just because I voted, quote, I, I, I represented, quote, the wrong person in the wrong place in the Senate. That's where we've come to. I wrote my book, The Price of Principle, all about that, telling those stories. And uh, uh, people have to understand that we're living at a time this is worse than McCarthyism. This McCarthyism lasted 10 years. It was a thing of the past. Today, this left-wing McCarthyism is being brought to us by Students and by teachers, they're our future. And that's why I worry that 20 years, 30 years from now, we'll still be where we are today in terms of this kind of left-wing McCarthyism. If not much worse. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, we got one minute left. Are you, I think you have a hard out at uh, fifteen <laughs> after. Anything else you want to tell the American people? Hey, the American people are great, um, um, and uh, we're going to survive this. And the pendulum always swings widely and broadly. But it's such a thrill for me to be on your show because I love talking to people from the six state area. <laughs> you you got two one. lawyers here, one amateur lawyer and me, and yeah. and then you have Lydia that tells it the way it is. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And at least one one or two people from Brooklyn. That's the case. <laughs> Thank you, Alan Dershowitz. Uh, God bless you, and uh, you keep fighting for America. Thank you. And we're going to take a break right now. When we come back, we're coming back with Miranda Devine, who has some interesting new breaking news. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Breaking news, WABC. And that breaking news, 78 people on the terror watch list have been arrested at the border just in 2022. That's triple the previous five years combined. And that's not accounting that 850,000 gotaways. Now on the line with us, we have Miranda Devine. She's a New York Post columnist. And who better to talk to about the crisis that's happening at our border, basically making every town a border town throughout the United States. Welcome back to Cats at Night, Miranda Devine. Thank you so much, Lydia and John. Lovely to be with you. Well, always good to see you. Miranda, what goes through your mind when you're seeing this uh, giant uproar? And you covered it firsthand. You were at the airport, Westchester County. You're one of the first to break the story. They're flying them in the dead of night. What's the difference between what Biden has been doing for the last two years, bringing in over 4, 4.4 now million migrants versus about 50 migrants that say DeSantis flew to Martha's Vineyard? Well, the only difference is that uh, it's a Republican who's pushing back, and it's Democrats. This entire migrant um, trafficking process is a completely Democrat um, deal. And so Joe Biden, first thing he did when he got into the White House was open the border, unwind all those Trump era, that suite of measures that they painstakingly put together to finally have the most secure border we'd had in years. He, he flagrantly, recklessly, deliberately opened that up. And then to avoid bad optics at the border, uh, they, they instituted this secret program where they would just bus and fly illegal migrants all over the country where they would melt into the community. And now, um, Ron DeSantis, who was part of the flights that were going from the Texas border into Westchester for the last 14 months, because a lot of those planes would stop off in Jacksonville and let off 50 or 60 illegal migrants in Florida and then come on to Westchester. And so Ron DeSantis was fully aware of what was going on because we alerted them to it. And uh, so he decided to do the same thing, to give a bit of a taste of their own medicine to some of the elite playgrounds of Democrats. And Martha's Vineyard, where 87% of the people there voted for Joe Biden, they were a perfect stamping ground for that. So that's what he did. It was a brilliant way of bringing the attention to this disaster at the border. And look at how the media's treated it. Look at what the Democrats have done. They've just 
launched a lawsuit on behalf of some of these migrants who they haven't even given their correct surnames to, um, and they're, they're suing Ron DeSantis. They're trying to criminalise Ron DeSantis. You've got a Texas sheriff who's now saying he's looking at a criminal investigation into Ron DeSantis, who did everything by the book. And why is that any different to what Joe Biden's been doing undercover of darkness, landing at Westchester after the midnight curfew so that no one notices this human trafficking operation that they're conducting internally, domestically. I think it's, it's very, Miranda, it's Richard Wong. I think it's very frightening that we see no end to this. What is going to happen when this goes on for another 4.4 million and then another 4.4 million? How do you put an end to this process? Well, look, Stephen Miller, uh, former Trump advisor and now the head of America First Legal, has come up with a really elegant solution for the Republicans if they choose to take it. Um, it, it, it requires the Republicans to work together and stymie the Democrats in everything they want to do. And where you can hurt them is with the money. They need uh, a continuing resolution to continue to fund the federal government. That vote is going to come up in Congress in the next few weeks. And what Stephen Miller says the Republicans should do is refuse to sign it, refuse to sign off on the budget unless the Democrats agree to a, an amendment to stop the border invasion. Very simple thing to do. All it requires is for every Republican to get behind it. And considering that the majority of the American population is aghast about what's going on at the border, which is an invasion, um, and those that aren't aghast, most of them just aren't even aware because their media uh, organs of choice don't report it. I think I think uh, you and Miller are absolutely correct on that. The problem is if they don't support a continuing resolution, the argument that Democrats will make is you're not supporting and funding the government and you're closing down the government. How do you respond to that? Well, they always say that, and the, their allied media will kick up a big stink and it'll all be a great drama. But the benefit of all the great drama is that it focuses the attention of the media again where the Democrats don't want it to be, and on the border. And, look, I think this is the number one crisis in the country. We talked about the 78 suspected terrorists uh, just in the last year. God knows how many were in the gotaways, at least half a million gotaways. Uh, how many suspected terrorists are in there? What are they plotting while the FBI has its attention focused on, you know, Trump supporters? Um, this is a really terrifying situation for the country, apart from the economic disaster for the most lowly paid, because those illegal migrants that are coming across the border will be slave labour. Uh, they will be undercutting the wages of the most poorly paid in this country. It's a disaster for America in every sense. And you cannot have people in the country, um, no matter how productive they might potentially be, you cannot have people who come into this country and the very first thing they do is break the law. And, and Biden is supposed to be a union guy, right? That's the one thing he's always supported, unions. And these migrants are going to be uncut, undercutting union jobs, right? Exactly. He is not a union guy. Uh, the unions uh, are just supporting him because it's the hierarchy, the elites of the unions who, that, those, those union heads don't really have working people um, at heart. And neither does Joe Biden. He's always operated on the elite level. That's all he cares about. He doesn't care about, you know, the, the working people. He's 
he's gone as far as he can to get away from his working class roots. He has the most caviar lifestyle uh, of, you know, anybody who tries to call himself, you know, lunch pal Joe. He always pretends that he's the poorest man in con Congress. Uh, and yet he lives in, you know, he's got a couple of mansions. He dresses really expensively. Um, his family lives a life of immense privilege. So um, he doesn't care about workers. He doesn't care. The only thing he cares about unions. Well, the people that got punished in the last uh, year and a half or year or so is the poor people and uh, and the middle class by paying uh, uh, increased food prices, increased gasoline prices. And the crashing of their savings. If Deferred comps, IRAs, Kios. Yeah, but they down. don't understand that. They don't understand that. Mm -hmm. they, when they pay seven ninety nine for Oreo cookies, that they understand. Cost of living is going up. When Biden did a $1.9 trillion added to the added added to the They don't understand that. They understand debt. paying no, but the result $4 of that was for inflation. gasoline. They understand paying, uh, you know, uh, Eight dollars for uh, for uh, eggs, et cetera, et cetera. Any other big news, Miranda? That uh, that uh, people should be concerned about. I mean, the drugs are coming in more than ever. The the borders are broken more than ever. Uh, I mean, we talked to John Solomon yesterday. He says they were they were going through a program of trying to repair some of the border, but I didn't know what that was all about. Have you heard anything? Uh, look, no. Um, I I think that what what they want to do is distract Americans with bread and circuses, talk about abortion, things that suit them, uh, and and try and ignore the border because the border is, uh, in the NBC poll on the weekend, it's the number one advantage that the Republicans have over the Democrats in the midterms. I think it was a 38% advantage that uh, the voters polled said that the Republicans were better at handling border security than the Democrats. That's bigger than even crime, even the economy, even inflation. Um, so it is the number one issue that um, people expect the Republicans will be able to fix. Um, but, you know, whether or not they are able to focus the attention of the national media on that, like happened during uh, Martha's Vineyard, is, a, is another question. I, I'm, I'm not sort of blown away by the Republicans' ability to seize the narrative. Of course, it's very difficult for them because they don't control the media like the Democrats do. Um, I think the other important story, it's a story I'm going to um, break on uh, Thursday or tomorrow night, um, is to do with the FBI. And these whistleblowers are continuing to come forward and tell really um, stories that should, should touch the conscience of every American because Ultimately, if you have uh, this very powerful law enforcement agency um, that's funded to the tune of $10 billion a year of taxpayer money, and it is focused against, weaponized against the American people, you are in a very dangerous state in this country. And don't, Democrats should not rest on their laurels and be happy about it because they're going after Republicans, because they'll turn around and come after Democrats. Miranda Devine, thank you for standing up for America. And you are an American, even though you have an Australian accent. God loves you, and thank you for everything you do. Thank you so much, John, and thank you, Lydia, and everybody. Thank you. And uh, we're going to be going to Lou Dobbs, and when we come back, there's one district attorney, we didn't let him get all in last week, in New York, in Suffolk County, that is able to get his job done and keep Suffolk County residents safe. His name is Ray Tierney, and he's going to tell us how he does it. John Katz and the Tears.
Well, we're back, the number one show at 5 o'clock, and, uh, and uh, we tell you things that you don't hear anyplace else. Mm-hmm. Uh, with us today, again, uh, he was with us yesterday, is Ray Tierney, uh, the new district attorney of Suffolk County, and he knows how to keep New Yorkers safe. Don't forget, a lot of New York City people live in Suffolk County on, on Saturdays and Sundays, like me and Judge Weinberg, and Ed Cox once in a while. <laughs> uh, Ray Tierney, tell us, tell us all the things that you are able to get done under the current laws and still keep Suffolk County residents safe. Well, well, thanks, John, and thanks for having me. Well, you know, first thing I think we, you know, we talk about, you know, bail and criminal justice reform, and those those laws are tough, but you can't use them as excuses. So what we've been able to do is we've been able to work sort of around those laws, and uh, you know, anyone who uh, negatively affects the quality of life in Suffolk County or will harm Suffolk County residents, notwithstanding the challenges, we make sure that there are consequences for their actions. D.A. Tierney, did you see that Axeman video? It went viral, a McDonald, guy in McDonald's. He went yep. around. Okay, so he was let go. Just a couple hours later, he was charged with two misdemeanors. And according to the district attorney's office, you know what? Hey, this is the bail law. Something tells me, though, that if this happened in, on Suffolk, uh, in Suffolk County, that he would probably still be behind bars. What, what could you have done in that case? Well, you know, in that case, it, it's tough because I definitely, uh, you know, you can charge them with, with felonies, and in, in all likelihood, that's what they would have been char- charged with in Suffolk County. But uh, I don't think that even, even looking at the, the, the video, uh, there are not uh, bail-eligible felonies. Mm, um, wow. And, and so this is, this is an instance where, you know, the bail law is a, an absolute impediment, and that's why prosecutors in New York need to be able to argue dangerousness, because there's these arbitrary rules that have been set up by the legislature, which are not which are insufficient in this case. But if we had that ability to say this guy is clearly dangerousness, dangerous, and on that basis we're, we're asking to, to, to hold him on bail, uh, you know, in a in a in a good system, uh, you could argue dangerousness. Right. It's uh, Richard Weinberg. The uh... The issue is that it's not just the bail reform law. It's a whole battery of laws that have created this climate of lawlessness. And you and I have talked about this. And the fact of the matter is you've done something that's very creative. You've hired a a lobbyist to go up to the legislature and try to educate the legislature about what the issues are and to make changes on these other laws. Could you comment on that? Sure. So we've hired uh, we've hired a former assistant uh, district attorney from from Brooklyn in Nassau, uh, Maureen McCormick. She's had a great career as as a prosecutor. Uh, really knows the laws. And and what we've we've done is we've we've uh, made her available to our legislature le- legislators, uh, and so she can discuss common sense approaches to making public safety a lot a lot. Um, uh, more available. And I'll give you one really obvious example. Our driving while impaired by drugs law, 11924 of the VTL, we have to require a particular uh, drug that they're impaired by. So if, if, for instance, if someone is impaired uh, by ketamine, we can't charge them uh, under that law because ketamine's not on the list. This is archaic. Uh, this, is, this, could, this is a simple fix. And there are many other laws like that uh, which, if we fix, uh, people will be more safe. Why are they? Why is Albany 
defending the violent criminals. I keep saying that over and over again. I mean, uh, are the wrong people getting the advice from the wrong people? Tell you tell us. Well, I mean, I think in, in Albany, I think there's a super majority. Um, so which means that, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. So when, when one side, and it doesn't matter really what side it is, but when one side is so decidedly uh, in power, uh, I think public safety, uh, there's a lot of people, uh, you know, on the other side of the aisle that might think that public safety is not an issue for them. So rather than, than deal with it, they just don't engage because a lot of our suggestions, they, they don't even get, um, you know, they don't, they don't even get scheduled for, for debate on the floor. And, uh, you know, so what we need is we need legislate, legislators on both sides of the aisle to really, instead of giving uh, paying lip service to public safety, let's really talk about public safety and let's talk about common sense laws that we can enact that will keep people safe. They have yeah. to change the, the, uh, the age. They took it down. You know, they raised it from 16 to 18, which, which takes down the ability to prosecute these, these kids. That raise the age law is a disaster. Yeah, yeah. Ed Cox, you were going to say something. Yeah, you're uh, Ray Ed Cox. You're you're talking about power corrupts. They've got the one party has super majorities in both houses of the legislature and the governor. So that means there's no discussion. One party decides everything. You don't have the back and forth kind of discussion that you need to make good laws. And, and, and it comes down to the state senators and the state assembly people. Why don't they stand up against their leaders? You know, they can't walk around their neighborhoods and can say, oh, yes, we believe that uh, that you, you should uh, the violent criminal should be in jail and then vote along with their leaders. Because the way it works is three men in a room decide things and all the rest are just uh, and they all are are from one party. That's it. And what what Ray said is right. Power corrupts. Absolute power you corrupts. You need checks absolutely. and balances. We need, you them need badly. checks and balances exactly. because if they're going to vote, if the people that are saying, "Oh yes, you're right, you're right, you're right," and they and then they vote along with uh, with Hasty and with Cousins all over again, then it's not helping. All we're all we're asking for: keep our people safe and take the violent criminals and throw throw away the kick. John Katzmatidis, why is it that certain people just don't have the courage to stand up for what's right? Why isn't it not more important to keep people safe than party allegiance? I don't know. Ray, Ray, Ray any, I mean, you've been in law enforcement all your life, Ray Tierney. Uh, what say you? I, I mean, I think, I think like when you, when you talk about like drug laws, um, you know, so we, we have a terrible opioid uh, overdose epidemic across the country. It's particularly bad in Suffolk County. And quite frankly, it's unacceptable. And, and so what, what, why do we have that? Because of fentanyl. Uh, and, and, you know, there's fentanyl, and then there are derivatives of fentanyl. There's a, there's a drug called nitazine. Uh, we're seeing overdoses in Suffolk County uh, of wow. nitazine, which is, which is 20 times more powerful than fentanyl. Uh, but because it's not on this controlled substance list in, in New York State, I can't even prosecute somebody for selling nitazine. What I have to do is, and I caught We've, we've caught individuals selling nitazine. We then have to go to the, our federal partners with our hat in hand and say, hey, can you use your law to, to prosecute these dangerous uh, people? Um, so what I want to do is I want to talk about uh, I, I want to talk about this to our legislators and say, listen, give me the tools. Give me the tools to combat this op- opioid overdose crisis. But uh, because of the supermajority, they just don't engage. Dr. Mihalos just texted me from Suffolk County and says to me, 
uh, why don't we? Why are we not giving the judges discretion? Out of fifty states, how many? How many states do not give judges discretion? We're we're New York. It. The New only York. one, New we're York. It. But did you hear what the DA just said? Nitazine. So that drug is how twenty times more powerful than fentanyl. Fentanyl is fifty times more powerful than heroin, and it's not on the controlled substance list. So you can go around selling this, and you you could literally kill like dozens of people with this single drug. And I, I can't even believe what you're saying. Guys, yep. all I'm saying to all our listeners out there, we got a million, almost a million listeners right now. Vote for the people you trust to keep you safe after November 8th. And don't listen to any crap. And it's, that's the way I feel. Uh, District Attorney Ray Tierney, thank you for everything you do in keeping our Suffolk County people uh, safe. I'm a resident there Saturdays and Sundays, and you keep Richard Weinberg safe, Dr. Mihalo safe, Ed Cox safe. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, and thanks for having me on. God bless you. And uh, right now uh, we got uh, Ryan Payne. And uh, I don't know, did we have any pain today, uh, Ryan? (laughs) Seems like any time I'm on, there's pain. (laughs) So it's becoming a theme, John. Uh, Markets go down and bring Ryan Payne on, uh, on your show. Well, tell us. Uh, the market went down a little bit today. The Bitcoin uh, hasn't gotten uh, hasn't gone broke yet, but uh, it's down uh, in the eighteen thousands. I heard. Uh, I haven't looked at the screen lately. And uh, uh, tomorrow is a decision time. I mean, have they realized that there's other ways to fix the problem other than just keep raising interest rates? Yeah, sadly, I don't think Jay Powell's getting your memo, John. And I know you can pound the table pretty hard. Um, so I think, you know, we're going to get from the Fed what everyone expects from the Fed, and that they're going to be aggressive, right? So we're looking at another 0.75% or three-quarters of a point hike, maybe 1%, but I think it'll be uh, 0.75%. And, you know, they're going to basically plot out what they're going to do during November and December. And my guess is, you know, their policy is going to be relatively hawkish. They're going to be aggressive with raising interest rates, uh, and they're going to be ignoring – what they might be doing to the economy in the short term here. Ryan, Ed Cox here, how did they, just a couple of weeks ago, they were talking about 50 basis points, then a 75. Now there's some, maybe it'll be a hundred. How does that move so quickly? Just, is it on rumor or what, 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 what drives those kinds of, which drives the market actually, those kinds of of, uh, judgments? Well, it's it's just stubborn inflation, right? We had a really hot CPI uh, print last week and i think that's the problem is and i i honestly thought inflation would come down quicker as well you know john called oil prices coming down they've come down but the problem with the cpi number it's history right so it's factoring in housing prices and rentals and all those are a lag so that's not exactly what's happening on the ground floor because you're starting to see commodity prices come down for food Uh, we know energy prices have come down we're seeing supply chains are starting to ease but we look at the backward looking data that's what the fed's looking at which seems counterintuitive anyway, Ed, is they're seeing that inflation is still stubbornly high, so they think they have to act more aggressively. So con- uh, consumers are going to be more careful in their spending. They're, they, uh, they have less to spend because of the inflation cost of uh, food and other commodities going up. Uh, so what, uh, what, what do you say about that? And uh, are we going to, in fact, have a recession at the same time we have inflation which is called stagflation? Well, yeah, I'm an optimist. And I think there's two things you can't count out. Number one, you can't count out American business. 
It's extremely resilient. You've seen with all the inflation and managing supply chains. Uh, John, I know in your business, uh, you know, you've been very agile in, in running your grocery stores. In my business, I, I do the same. I'm as careful as I can uh, with managing around whatever potholes there are. But you can't discount the American consumer. Uh, Americans love to spend. And if you looked at retail sales last month, even with over 8% inflation, uh, Americans still continue to increase their spending. And I think the reason is, is number one, wages are extremely strong. The employment market is extremely strong. And, you know, also they still have a lot of savings left over from the pandemic. They have 30% more money in savings today, the American household, than they did before the pandemic. People have been a lot more careful with that stimulus money they received. They didn't just blow it. So I think that's what's saving grace. That's the saving grace for the economy right now. And I think invariably that's what's going to save us from going into a deep recession. Well, thank you so much, Ryan Payne. And uh, if anybody wants to hear more of your insight and wisdom, you are you pair up with economist Steve Moore every Saturday from 1 until 2 p.m. You come on right after Larry Kudlow, the world's leading economist. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Have a great evening. Thank you. And be bullish. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to take one more break. And when we come back, we have Dr. Mark Siegel to see what the heck is going on. Well, President Biden said the pandemic is over. Well, you never know. Is it over? I mean, uh, I don't know. A clock is what is it? What is it? A broken clock White is wrong twice. Did the White House yell at him though? I yeah, think, they did. I they, think they, they clarified because they, they have all these rules and all these laws in place that depended on still having an emergency. Hold on to this. We'll talk about this when we come back. You're commuting home with Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis on 77 WABC. Doctor, my eyes have seen the Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night Show. What's this song, Rich Radabali? Doctor My Eyes. Yeah. Jackson Brown. Jackson Brown. Is that Doctor My Eyes? I know. Jackson Brown. It's a perfect song for Doctor Siegel. No, it's the one for the I doctor. What say you, Siegel? We need a song for the love doctor for Doctor Siegel. Sure, we got that. Yeah, but but that one I love too. But listen, I thought Lydia, I thought you chose this for me. No, no, I lobbied for it, Doctor. It's mine. Yeah, you're wrong again, Doctor Siegel. What's going on? Oh, everything is good. You know, all is well in the world. Pandemic is over. That's you know, Biden said Biden said so. A hand wave from the president and the pandemic is over. Tomorrow, he'll check his poll numbers and say the pandemic is back. I mean, <laughs> you know, where's the medicine in all of this, right? You you have to wonder and then talk about the – you were talking about this, uh, Judge Weinberg, the executive orders that are still into effect. People are still losing their jobs. you got college kids that still have to get the boosters and on and on. He has, for example, Title 40. Title 42, which allows uh, the government to push people back into to Mexico based on health reasons, is bottomed on a, on a health crisis, on a declaration of emergency. Well, or even the student loans is bottomed on, on a pandemic emergency. That's what they've been using. So there are all kinds of laws that are bottomed on that there is a continuing crisis. Well, that's why well, Karine Jean-Pierre, you know, came out and basically backtracked on what Biden said during that 60 Minutes interview. Were you surprised about that, Dr. Siegel, that once again they walked back the president's comments? Yeah, I, I, the only thing I would say differently than was just said is this time I'm not as certain that it was one of those things where 
he forgot what year it was or something. I have a feeling this was more calculated, like, how do I woo voters? I need them to know that I did something, that I whipped the pandemic. And it also may have been, as was just said, a justification for the money trail drying up. But the other point that you guys just made that I absolutely agree with is I'm so disturbed about the border and the leaking border, and I'm in touch with the medical director of McCallan Hospital. And and the problem is that, you know, there's there's a public health crisis in Texas and not in uh, Martha's Vineyard, by the way. And so all of that is dependent on this actually being a pandemic or there being a public health crisis called because of the border problem. And, and I agree. And I also think the vaccines that are being hauled out, you know, that the money for that is drying up. So all of it is politics and not medicine. Dr. Siegel, we just talked to Ray Tierney. He's the DA, the district attorney on Suffolk County. And he's talking about the new drug, nitazine. It's uh, what I think he said. What was it? He said it's 20 times more powerful than fentanyl and fentanyl is 50 times more powerful than heroin. I, I feel like America is being poisoned. We, we are truly under attack, whether it be at the border or now through drugs and specifically our young people are being targeted. What are you seeing? Well, there's really just two major cartels in Mexico that are behind about 90 percent or more of this. The Salerno cartel, you know, Jalisco cartel. Those are those are taking over whole regions and pumping out fentanyl because it doesn't rely on the poppy plant that can be made in a uh, in a uh, lab, a 10 foot lab, like something out of Breaking Bad. I mean, when you saw Breaking Bad, you thought, wow, this is a hokey show. Poor guy has cancer. Well, meanwhile, half of Mexico is this way and it's leaking across the border. And then, of course, it travels all over the United States. The the DEA. Did 20, confiscated 20 million fake pills last year, and that's not even the tip of the iceberg of this situation. That's just the drug problem alone, not to mention the fact that the people that are coming across the border aren't being screened for any diseases at all. Not only COVID, you know, there's also a lot of trauma and injuries. 750 people died crossing the border illegally over the past year, which is up three times from the year before. That's a problem. I mean, I feel for these people, but they're not coming safely, and they're ending up in our hospitals in southern Texas. And, and the Venezuelans, we were talking about it yesterday, are, are crossing all the way across Venezuela, up to Central America, and uh, there all kinds of uh, stuff is happening to them while they do that. And, and then uh, they go up from Central America up to the Mexican border. Memo to Venezuela. Aruba's right near you, and it's a beautiful island. Please make use of it. <laughs> but yep. you, you have Biden saying that the and pandemic in, is invade, uh, invade Aruba. There's only a few uh, <laughs> a few criminals there. But you got Biden saying the pandemic is over, and Fauci says we are nowhere where we need to be. I mean, why is this like? Talk about mixed message, and why does Dr. Fauci seem so obsessed with with COVID? Well, I don't know why. I, I think that, that that's been true from the beginning. And, and I think that he participated in the mRNA vaccines, which, as you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in. And I, th- but I think the lockdowns and all of this did tremendous damage and excess mask use and sold us almost a religion did damage. And we're, we're really reeling from that entire generation of young people is affected. We have the economy. We, we talked previously about how, you know, if you're rich, you can work from home. If you're poor, you can't work from home. All of that is not being considered by Dr. Fauci or certainly by the president. And it's these are major, major problems. So uh, as to whether the pandemic is over or not, I think the, the key question is, 
are things being funded properly or is money being wasted as inflation continues to rise? Uh, Dr. Siegel, do you think it's a coincidence that we're seeing such a sharp rise in the number of minors who are now committing crimes, whether it be Chicago, Philadelphia, right here in New York City? I think kids being out of school for two years, being allowed to roam the streets, it really did a number on them psychologically. And I I know this sounds kind of like very, I don't know, what what would you say, liberal of me? I, I, I think they're damaged. I think they're depressed. I think there's something really going on. And I think COVID plays a big part in it. There's a lot of uh, answers to that. First of all, mo- mobility is down. People not moving around as much cause great psychological damage per a big study in Lancet. Then there's the damage from not having socialization in schools. Then there's the fact that it didn't prevent the spread of the virus at all. But probably the most important thing is that their parents are worrying. Their parents are not what they were. And kids learn from their parents. It's by osmosis. So I don't think anything believe, anyone believes the, the salesmanship of what they're being sold right now. So, and, should, and uh, that, Doctor, that should, the, should the schools have stayed open then uh, during the, uh, the entire period of COVID or were the uh, lockdowns of the school proper? Never proper. There's not one shred of evidence at all that closing the sp- schools even decreased the spread of the virus. And I can tell you why, and you'll understand how logical this is. Why would it? What do you think a kid does when they're out of school? They're at more risk of spreading something. When they're in school, you at least can keep an eye on them. You could at least put in proper ventilation. You could at least monitor the situation. So it's not just that the vaccine, the vaccine didn't change that because the vaccine didn't prevent spread, right? That was another thing that was sold that didn't end up being true. But there were early studies, even in 2020, that said that the school should be open that there was no advantage of closing them. I think that was a great tragedy. I could understand the fear and panic in the spring of 2020. The spring of 2020, I can't believe that the schools remained closed in the fall of 2020 and then on into 2021. Great, great damage, really poor, and will be remembered for this. And then any time a kid even got COVID or had any symptoms, like the whole grade would shut down for another two weeks. So there was never a sort of kind of stability or continuity for the kids it, it was it was really bad and, and virtual education did not work it doesn't didn't work. work at all these, these kids are hurt psychologically in terms of their social skills in terms of education and how do they ever catch up and what about the kids with special needs right now i'm going to tell you by the way diagnoses a lot of those diagnoses were missed and by the way it's still not over in los angeles there's still vaccine mandates in mm-hmm. certain schools i mean it's not over it's not over. You know, and Mayor Adams fi- finally released some of these mandates, but not all of them, not for government workers. And what took so long for private industry? Well, Mark Siegel, thank Dr. Mark Siegel, thank you for everything you do. And, and Mark Siegel, too, is a resident of Suffolk County most uh, most weekends. And, so uh, on, uh, District Attorney Tierney is protecting him, too. District Attorney Tierney is protecting you know, Dr. Mark the Siegel, best, too. The best introduction of all. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk to you real soon. Maybe we'll see you for breakfast on Saturday. If, if you have it, I'll be there. Yeah, we'll be there. We'll be there. I'll be there, too. Thank you. And uh, what do we stand for? Truth, Truth justice, justice, and the American way. God bless uh, Suffolk County. God bless <laughs> New York. God bless America. And God bless the world. The world needs God's blessing. Thank you so much Amen. for listening. And, and we're gonna t- we keep telling you the truth every day. Remember, whom do you trust to keep you safe in November?